This week, we discuss some Central and South American politics. We look at the dynamics between Greece and Turkey, as well as, as always, discussing the news of the week. This is Broadcast from Your Boring Dystopia. Boring Dystopia. I'm your host Andrew here, and I'm back this week with uh, Bruno and Antonio. Unfortunately, Layla was unable to uh, to come to this uh, recording session. Nothing to do with the hurricane. Uh, we have heard that she is safe and her family. Uh, they mostly missed them. She's not able to be with us for this episode, so we'll try to keep you entertained. Just us three guys here. So, how are you guys doing this week? Fine. Smoking fire. Smoking fire yeah. still. Yeah, I haven't left my house in like two weeks. Well, that's California for you. I feel like it's just becoming like just a burning inferno. Every year it gets worse. Yeah, here in Rio, I mean, the winter is over. It was a good long four days of winter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Brazilian winter with like a, I don't know how it's far high, but it was not so low. Yeah. But yeah. it's already over, unfortunately. Well, you guys have your own uh, fire problems in Brazil. Maybe a little bit different in nature, but still related to climate change. Yeah, but uh, Brazil is more a political thing than a right. climate one. Right. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. And, re- and economic. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Our president, I mean, not president, but the minister of the environment shut down all the brigades to fight fires. Mm. Amazon and like uh it's like the Everglades Everglades here in Brazil it's we call it Pantanal. It's in the in the Middle West is Brazil. So it's I mean the, the fire is wreaking havoc down there. It's create a lot of problems, but I think our president's not worried about it about it. But I mean a lot of European countries and other developed nations said they won't stop to they will stop to invest in Brazil because of this fire and environment damage. So I hope capitalism works for us this time. Well, I mean, I think you're you're gambling on long odds on that one. The other day, I was I, I received a, uh, a computer part in the mail on Amazon Prime, and every time I get a package from Amazon Prime, I'm like, damn it, capitalism, you won this round. I can't compete with that. There's no way. Two day shipping, free. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 makes so bad because I see I made. I was like, uh, oh no, I made Jeff Bezos even richer. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like every time I follow an account on Twitter that said, "Yep, every day." Uh, the guy behind the account was like, "Today, Jeff Bezos had decided to not enter the world hunger." And <laughs> <laughs> uh. every day. It's the same thing. Yeah. So. Well, you know, it, I think it's important not to forget that um, these conveniences are brought to us on the backs of many failed small businesses who can't compete in the market because of it. Yeah, there's documentary about mm-hmm. the damage that Walmart does to small business in cities across America. I don't know, I forgot the name of the documentary, but I mean, it's 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 pretty sad because I mean, Walmart has uh, has like a this the production is so high and the type of pliers are so big that it can deal with a better price. Or I mean, is it uh, is it the is it called Walmart, the high cost of low price? In yeah. 2005? Yeah. yeah. 2005 yeah, film yeah. by Robert Greenwald. Yeah. 
It's pretty but great. Usually, but, I mean, but I'm looking forward to the future where it's like we live in an Apple home and we just buy from Amazon products and we have an Uber car and then there's no, we have no jobs outside of those companies. It, it's really interesting going forward. It's a real balance, I think. This uh, this kind of balance between government uh, regulation and uh, rampant corporatism. It's kind of a debate that we're seeing going on. I mean, quite literally right now in Congress. Capitalism is breeding a lot of innovation right now. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, I think that um, we're only seeing the best and the worst going forward. You know, you're, you're going to see both sides of it. It's certainly going to bring uh, plenty of innovation and, and increased quality of life for many people. But at the same time, it's also going to harm the, the potential quality of life. It's going to harm the equality of citizens. And uh, all those things create political problems that capitalism yeah, ultimately yeah. unable to be deal with. Yeah, I think the biggest problem, a lot of biggest problems, but I mean, the I think the the ones that concern me the most, like uh, the power that these guys can have on government. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying exactly. about authoritarian ones or, I don't know, not non-democratic ones, but I mean, the democracies, it's like a very, it's a very problematic because it almost creates a plutocracy uh, mm-hmm. of people who can, uh, I don't know, invest in some politicians or create, I don't know, make this one politician f- they interest in become more standard or stuff. Yeah. So in the U.S., we have and- we have a concept called the revolving door of Washington, which is people who are uh, you know invested in a field like let's say energy, like oil. They'll basically get a position advising a Republican president, most likely. And once that Republican, and they'll be fighting for policies to support their their uh, profits, their company, whatever. Uh, and then they'll once that Republican president's unelected, they will go and uh, be work in a think tank, work in some other uh, institution, continuing to advise a lobbying firm. And then once another favorable president comes in, they go back and work in that institution. So you have this kind of uh, corporate lobbying group that's very present in American politics. And it makes it very difficult to do anything in U.S. politics without the support of these really big, powerful special interest groups. Yeah, here in Brazil, we have not like this revolving door, but we have like uh, here we call bancadas, which be like uh, seats in the Congress. So we have the BBB seats. I mean, it's like a boy bala Biblia, which be like uh, ox, Bible, and bullets. Because these guys that sits on the ox seats is like uh, sponsored by the huge producers or meats, chicken, soil, soybeans or stuff. The Brazil is, I mean, one of the biggest producers. So this kind of just is very rich here. We have the Bible one, which like uh, is sponsored by these huge churches that, that exist in Brazil. So a lot of and mainly uh, evangelical ones. And neo Pentecostal ones uh, that have this like a, I, I, I could say it's almost like a franchise of churches mm-hmm. and people like uh, make a lot of money and the bullet ones which sponsored by the arms and guns industry in Brazil so it's I mean uh, it's kind of lobby but it's not as the American type of ones more like uh, I was sponsoring you and you'll be there so you 
like uh, I won't interfere nothing there because it's your, uh, by the time you arrive in the Congress is your job to do so because if you don't the next election you will, you won't be reelected this kind of behavior right so you know what before we move into the news let's do the number of the week because last time I forgot to do it at the beginning and I really think that's the way to do it so I brought a number this week and that number is seven. So keep that seven. in your mind. Keep that in your mind. Seven. Uh, don't look into the box. That's from the movie. What movie? Seven. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been a while since <laughs> I saw that movie. Fincher, David Fincher. David uh, was the, his birthday this week, right? David Fincher. I think he's forty-eight or fifty-eight right now. Mm. Well, speaking of yeah, actors, yeah, I mean, yeah. I know in news we're all. Uh, I mean, everybody was surprised to hear about Chadwick Boseman dying. It's very yeah, sad it to hear that. Sad. Like last Jeez, night, tragic. Yeah, for me, it was like a sudden event because yeah, yeah. Uh, he was like, uh, I know that this movie probably was uh, shot, shot or shot it. I don't know. Shot, shot. Uh, for those yeah, for those people who don't know, uh, Chadwick Boseman uh, played Black Panther in that movie. Yeah, T'Challa. He was T'Challa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the movie, like uh, by Spike Lee on on Netflix, was recently released but this movie probably was shot long long time before but i mean for me he was healthy and stuff because i remember he's on the last oscars was like uh totally or before the last oscar was totally fine but a friend of mine said he was watching nba event something he was down there and she even thought he was like uh uh doing drugs or stuff because he was very very scrawny probably mm-hmm. yeah like gone he was, yeah yeah no it, it's definitely sad and um i i'm just impressed that uh like he he and his family were able to keep it very very under wraps i think that's very impressive uh, that the media even was able to like allow that usually they're all over getting into everybody's business and busting the story for a profit but you know this time this time it, it uh there wasn't too much press abuse which is good to see in other news there is the republican convention we're just gonna keep going down this uh this negative news i i don't know if there's even a positive story on the list you know it's 2020 like oof. uh the rnc your your responses give me your give me your snap second response antonio really uh, like- you really had a strong opinion yeah, so I liked that uh, Charlie Kirk mentioned that Trump is the defender of Western civilization. Oh my God! I when like, I saw him, when I saw Charlie Kirk's face, I literally was like, oh "My God!" He's a small face. I was like, okay, the Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk says that, but a foreign minister said that once. Yeah, a foreign yeah. minister, Brazil chancellor said that Donald Trump was a defender of the Western civilization. So it's they not really like went a, full American thing. They yeah. went like full hog with the uh, with the dog whistles. The first day, like barely any dog whistle, and it was just well. Like, I, I think that I think they know that the entire campaign is founded on dog whistles. That's that's their those are their legs like to stand on. Yeah, yeah, uh, but. Yeah, I mean, I think Charlie Kirk is just especially hated among young people because of his role in Turning Point USA. Because uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, Bruno, but basically, uh, you, are you familiar with Turning Point USA? No. It's it's like a right wing advocacy group in uh, in the United States that focuses on young people and college campuses. So they show up. They're, they're, what they, name? What uh, name? Turning Point USA. 
Uh, turn the point USA, okay? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, also, I think it was also a good political strategy to put every African American that would have voted for Trump on stage that day. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh my God, I, I've seen this. I've seen this. Him Brazil, him Brazil. Uh, our president is he's totally racist and stuff. I mean, there's interviews that he's openly not openly said he's racist because Brazil is like. It's very problematic to say they're racist or something. It's very problematic. I think it's even more than like, it's impossible to exit something openly a racist KKK here in Brazil. Openly. I mean, not me under guys. I mean, openly. I mean, so, like race and race in Brazil would be a very good topic to do because uh, the like it's it's super different than the way that the U.S. handles it. You know, where the U.S. Yeah. is like, if you have one, if you have one relative who's black, if you have one, you know, drop of blood of, you know, people who were brought over as enslaved people, then you are considered black. But in Brazil, it's such a gradient, you know, everybody, there's, yeah. it's, my, there's no such clear delineation. My grandmother is a grandchild, grand of a black woman, but he's, she's not considered black. Yeah. Yeah. Just white. Well, so also it's, it's very... just the, the, the numbers involved are staggering. Cause uh, let me bring up the numbers real quick so I can get the statistics to you. But uh, the number of slaves brought to Brazil is just insanely higher than to the United States. Let me bring up. Let me, you you keep taking. I'll bring the numbers. Uh, but yeah, like the U.S. received very few slaves relative to uh, Brazil and the Caribbean islands. Just before the Andrew talk about the numbers in Brazil, uh, the president used to have like a. A black friend that always behind in every interview showing how not racist he is. So it's very similar to the Republican National Congress and stuff. So it's it's it's, it's not a isolated event to me. Every kind in the of US, populist... we call him Ben Carson. He's President Trump's one black friend. Ben Carson. Yeah, he in Brazil we, we associate a lot with the the, the movie Rango. Oh, not Rango, Rango is the lizard one, but the Django, the Unchanged Rango, I mean by Quentin Tarantino. There is like a, a slave owner and there is a slave that very close to the slave owner and showing how the slave owner is not that racist because he's very good to this certain slave. So we make this comparison every time. Yeah, it's it's, it's very famous Facebook post to me. You can see a hundred times, especially. I don't know. I'll, we got, uh, he's he's kind of missed it today. We don't see him anymore, like so frankly as before like uh, just to go back to the rnc a bit i also like how they were appealing to suburban white women they were they were appealing um they had all of these women guest speakers which i thought was also really interesting even though trump obviously has this backstory of like being super awful <laughs> like just like um you know with the the sexual harassment tapes and the uh you know just generally awful policies towards abortion and awful policies towards so it's kind of interesting to have all of these uh, suburban white women that there was kind of like a working or like a sing. What's it called? Where the stay? There was kind of like a stay-at-home mom vibe that was going on. It's kind of it's kind of interesting. It's like it was it was more like America in the 1960s and less about America now. I feel like even suburbs in America are not necessarily homogenous and ultra conservative anymore. So I think I don't know who he's trying to appeal to in in that kind of like ultra trad kind of 
appeal to to women. Yeah, so the the numbers I'm looking up on the slaves, not to backtrack too far, the slaves brought to the United States only represent about 3.6% of the total number of Africans transported to the New World. Um, and this is from an article on history.com. Uh, Brazil alone received 4.8 million uh, out of the total. Um, what is the total? It's some millions. But Brazil yeah. received many more yeah. slaves. And like um, I was reading an article one time that really made up an interesting point about the way that slaves were treated economically has really impacted racism in, in respective countries. So, for example... In the U.S., slaves were kept very segregated from the white population. They were mostly concentrated on plantations where they interacted with their own black community more than any, you know, white people. Uh, but in other places, not necessarily true. Um, there's a lot more intermixing and a lot less segregation. And a really good example of this is Hispaniola, the island in the Caribbean, split between Haiti and uh, Dominican Republic. So in Haiti, the people are much darker, right? And it was owned by the French, which instituted a much more plantation-based system. They were farming cash crops. Meanwhile, in Dominican Republic, the Spanish were doing mostly cattle ranching. And the nature of cattle ranching leads to much more intermixing. You'd have black and white people, you know, riding horses side by side, working together. Whereas in Haiti, uh, where ultimately there was a very uh, bloody revolution, and you had like populations where it was 99% slave and 1% white who uh, held all the power. Uh, So the way in which the economy is laid out around slavery really affects the... um, the attitudes towards race. And, and you know, moving into present day, you see a lot more emphasis on race and, and color in places like Haiti where, or, and in the United States where those people are kept separate. It's re- it was really fascinating to me. Really cool stuff to look into. With Sorry, the, I just I just totally different. derailed us from the RNC. No, 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 that's fine because I mean no, in, in Brazil, in Brazil, let me check it. Our census in Brazil we call the institution the IBGE. So the IBGE, so color in in IBGE is like a self-determined. You you say what color you are. So I want to try to to find uh, a statistics number. Well, there there I remember. Like, Recently, there was a lot of protest about uh, there were a number of social justice programs, correct me if I'm wrong, to uh, like affirmative action programs to help people of color. And uh, there were um, there's some system set up to like judge people's blackness to say, like, if you were, you know, if you were black enough to get the university like uh, admission aid and stuff like that. Is that correct? Yeah, because I mean, I mean, it's been more how can I say it? It's being more enforced right now because when I uh, okay, in Brazil have like a public institutions like public universities. And, and the weird thing and, for Americans uh, to understand is the public institutions are better than the private ones. Correct? Everybody wants to get into so much the better. Yeah, and and they're free to go to, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, in Brazil, we have like uh, some universities that private that make science. Uh-huh. do science so it's the catholic ones so and like very traditional ones so but i mean in general the private ones are not that good when you rank them like uh in terms of internet internationalization in in terms of science production and stuff so in brazil we have like a, this uh literally is called it's called quotas we have quotas of black people to get into universities because i mean more than 300 years of segregation and slavery so people i mean the public universities are were only made by white people 
rich white people because I mean to get into a university in a public university you have to make a test like an actional test so it's kind of hard so to get into it, you have to study and people who has the best teachers and best uh, courses and the best schools are uh, traditionally white people so only white people have right. the best schools and stuff so right and because like it seems yeah, like it seems like it would be a program that would be very just right like you know free free public uh higher education so people from the favelas can go and get educated or people who are you know disadvantaged economically but in reality it's really a pay-to-win system because um, yeah. You need to pay for tutors and, and for you need to have time to study and you need to have gone to good secondary school. So, you know, and, and all that stuff is a challenge for a lot of people. So in, in a system that seems like it would provide equitable education, it really it's just another way of it, the same thing that happens in the U.S. You know, certain demographics receive you know, the benefits. Yeah, and this system was like a new in Brazil. I mean, when you look look historically, it was implemented in the worker government like in 2000s in the before the 2010s and so it's kind of new and was very how can i say it uh it didn't work i mean in the process that we should because that it should because as i said in brazil color is self-determined so i determine what my color is and a lot of times, like white people, like whiter than me, and like a uh, Andrew's color says, okay, I'm I'm black. I didn't find myself as black. And people got in. I mean, that's serious. That was very serious problem here in Brazil. So there's like a, a I mean, in my class, I studied international relations in a public institution here in Brazil. In my class, there is a guy, the color of Andrew, even blonder than him. He got into through this black quota. And when people discover it, they made a, a great exposed in on internet and a lot of another case was popping out in in internet showing how this system was failing and like uh, helping white people to to i mean perpetuate the system and and the government institutions are trying by this by this case to make this system work better because i mean i know people and I had a friend in university that she was so smart. I mean, she was one of the smartest people that I ever know. And I know, and she said to me, Bruno, not competition, but like the ranking. I mean, people trying to study better than others was so high. And my school was not so good that if it wasn't by the quotas, I wouldn't be here. And she's like, but, but now I see how a lot of great minds are wasted because of this system that segregates poor people and rich people. So in Brazil's like rich are generally white and poor people are generally uh, black ones. And the problem is even even more complicated because as Antonio said, the Brazil has a lot of gradient, tons of color. So in Brazil, you don't have like this thing like black and white as in America, or white and non and non-white or people of color. In Brazil, you don't have this kind of thing. In Brazil, in the last in the last IBGE or something, uh, there was more than two thousand colors of skin, ranging from very dark to golden one to dirty white and stuff like this. So yeah, I mean, from people like in Brazil have like Morena, which it's very complicated because I don't know how to say. I, yeah, I, I yeah. Can see like brown, right? Morena is like brown, right? Yeah, it's like Beyonce. 
Beyonce's Morena. So you have like a Moreninha, which is like a little Morena, and, and muito, yeah, a lot of Morena, or something like this, you know? Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's Singers. very, it's very, what? You sound like singer names. This is Morenita. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very complicated and very, I mean, it's not complicated, it's very complex because, I mean, in Brazil, you don't see people. I mean, it, I think it's like a, the part of racism as well because to not be so black, you're, you're, you try to name yourself as a less black. Right, right, right. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not black, I'm Morena. So mm-hmm. I'm not that one. I'm even closer to you than them. It's, it's, it's a reality here. And there is a writer here in Brazil. Uh, he's a long time dead. He, his, his name is Lima Barreto. He's very, he's very famous and he was black. And there is a book of him called Clara dos Anjos that is very interesting because a guy then in the suburbs was white in the city in downtown was black. So in Brazil had this this uh the type of color depends uh, what type of social places you frequent so it's it's a very only the all, the only people who understand this is the people who lives in this mm-hmm. kind of society mm-hmm. yeah so which is true for so many things yeah like for Weird. me i can't even understand what's a red bone or yellow bone person i can't i i, I don't know how, i still how don't know to, what that means <laughs> It's like uh, I I had a friend in the United States that said, oh, I am Yellowbone. She was black. I am Yellowbone. But that one is Redbone. So I don't know how to say it because for me, it's like a, a, I don't know. So I think for her, it's easier because, I mean, she lives this reality. But me, it's totally different. Yeah. And I think it bears mention. I don't want to keep going too far because I do want to go back to the RNC before we start our segments. But um. Yeah, there's there's also another way, which is um, a lot of Central American countries don't take race into account at all politically. They don't even have race on the census. And so when asked about it, they'll be like, there's no racism here. You know, we don't we don't see race. It's colorblind. But when you look at the statistics, you see that there truly is a uh, a gradient of economic and social opportunity based on your skin color. So it's not something that can be just ignored and wiped away. Yeah. Well, speaking of ignoring and wiping away the the, the RNC, let's go back to it. Uh, we got we got we had some some real pieces of work uh, making some presentations. Uh, uh, some 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 of them really stand out. Melania just seemed tortured the whole time. The uh, Eric Trump, he just seemed like he wanted his father's attention. It was kind of sad, to be honest. I don't know if you guys caught on to that. He was just like, "Dad, I love you." He's competing with Tiffany for the least like right? Trump. But yeah, by, like, by his father. <laughs> Meanwhile, Baron Baron does absolutely nothing, and and it's just like, oh yeah, like air presumptive or whatever. The internet loves Baron for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know either. Baron Trump. I don't, I don't know. The, the family Trump is not so common here. I mean, you only know Melania. Melania, I don't know how to pronounce her name. She probably can't Sometimes pronounce. Sometimes Vanka. Sometimes Vanka. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the only reason that we really are talking about it is because that kind of is the RNC. I think the majority of speakers were probably his family. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. There was also, there, I mean, that was one issue, okay. But, I mean, there were another much bigger issues that relate to international relations, which is where I'm heading with this. Uh, specifically, the use of um, the White House and, and use of political office to pursue campaigning. And then also uh, Pompeo's speech from Jerusalem, of course, which was the big news in international relations. Because, to be honest, it was a little, uh, a little uh, I don't know, like, just reckless. 
It's it's bad enough that the that the government moved uh, Israel's recognized capital and the embassy to Jerusalem, but the fact that um, a Secretary of State would make a political statement at all is crazy. But the fact that he made it on a taxpayer-funded trip to Israel from Jerusalem, you know, a place of great controversy. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to hear that. What is the controversy with with Jerusalem? I'm I'm right. not super keen on. Middle Eastern politics, right? So, uh, so Israel's uh, de facto capital has been uh, Tel Aviv for pretty much its entire existence. But uh, obviously, the cultural and historical capital of like ancient Israel is Jerusalem. So, you know, if you're more of a righty in Israel, your objective has always been to get Jerusalem recognized as Israel's capital. You know, if you're a fundamentalist, uh, you know, if you're an Orthodox Jew. You're thinking, oh, you know, we need to settle the West Bank and we need to take back Jerusalem so we can hasten the coming of the Messiah. If you're more of just a like secular Likud person who's c- considered with uh, about you know national security issues, you're like, okay, we need to um, basically erode Palestinians' claim to the land, and Jerusalem is also an economic center. We want to have control over it. Um, so basically, there's been a long political push on the right to basically get that formalized and move to Jerusalem. The problem is Jerusalem under uh, the Oslo Accords is supposed to be uh, split. Uh, so East Jerusalem is supposed to be Palestinian, uh, delegated to a Palestinian state. And, you know, West Jerusalem is supposed to be delegated to Israel. Uh, it doesn't really work out that way because Israel has built a massive wall. They've built tons of settlements and, and blocked Palestinians off the land, and so uh, not. I mean, not to mention that the Palestinians still don't have a a, a true state of their own. Uh, so, really, no promises the Palestinians have realized, uh, other than a slight amount of autonomy under the the Palestinian Authority. So, really, uh, moving uh, recognizing the capital and moving it to Jerusalem is a big step because it basically says, okay, the uh, the Oslo Accords, like the peace, the two state peace process, is dead. You know, we're not even going to try and work towards it. We're basically supporting a, you know, total domination of Israel, by Israel, whatever that ends up being a one state or apartheid state, whatever. So, uh, I mean, that's basically it. Uh, by the, the, the United States officially moving the embassy to Jerusalem, they're saying, OK, Israel is like, you know, has a right to this land and and all these other negotiations are invalid. And of course, this doesn't sit well with anyone else pretty much anyone especially the arab states that's that's the lowdown on that on the other side um it's just traditional uh there's there's a memo in the um state department that basically forbids um people in the state department from making political statements uh and traditionally the secretary of state is supposed to lead on that and so there's never been a um there's never been a campaign speech done by a sitting secretary of state until now um and on top of that it's done from such a a controversial location that clearly was paid for by taxpayers, right? Like the only reason he was there was because we paid for him to go there. So in a way, we've all, all us taxpayers are supporting the Trump campaign. That's something to think about. Uh, Bruno, did you watch any of the, um, the RNC? No, uh, I mean, watching on TV or something, I... I you caught the highlights? I, yeah, but especially from a, a American media press, but because Brazilian one is not 
the interest in right. um, C or something, uh, we just like, uh, oh, it's Biden or it's Trump. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, yeah, yeah, it's, it's very much a domestic process. It's yeah, internal of the party, even. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think yeah I think uh, uh, people that like study United States know him Brazil know it better because I my last class a teacher of my a professor of my that he is she is very she's she studies United States and she was like saying all these names all these people and all these conspiracy theories that they was talking about there and I was like I don't know all this person all these people so i mean it's kind of yeah I, I don't know how to say a lot of it because i mean i didn't watch it and i didn't search for it but i mean i know it's, it's been like a more a tragedy than any other thing because mm-hmm. i don't know if if, if i'm only r- reading liberal uh, media press or, or something but i mean the views were not that good it was like a very sensationalist or a very emotional passionalist in like a trump the defender of the western civilization mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in this kind of thing yeah well i mean i think uh the russians are certainly doing what they can to poison the election so speaking of russians poisoning things elections are not the only things they poison isn't that right antonio that's exactly right uh that is exactly right andrew So again, we discuss Eastern European autocrats, this time, of course, in Russia. Someone is Putin poison where it shouldn't be. Uh, Alexei Navalny, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, was poisoned and brought to a hospital in Berlin. Alexei is an anti-corruption advocate and one of Putin's biggest potential competitors for the presidency. People in Russia, as well as Belarus, due to modernization that has been occurring in both countries, are growing tired of their backwards-looking autocratic rulers and are protesting in the streets. And these regimes under Putin, uh, and also comparably Lukashenko, are regimes that need to scare their people in order to maintain power. Oppressing people is a way to remain in power despite being unpopular. And and another means of maintaining power used by Putin is, of course, misinforming people. We're all aware of, of fake news media sources. Uh, and and um, I think the funniest thing, the funniest means of maintaining power, and you can see this in the RNC as well, uh, that, that Putin used, was to be nostalgic about the past. Putin discussed the glory days of the Soviet Union, where Russia called more of the shots. And this can be seen going back to the RNC when when they discussed simpler times, when the colored folks left all the good folks in the quiet neighborhoods alone, you know what I'm saying? Rather than just <laughs> causing such a big ruckus. I, 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 wanna, I wanna discuss what I say when I'm abroad talking to non-Americans about Trump really quickly. This is a time where I feel very similar to the modernist people of Russia and Belarus. I feel extremely embarrassed about my backwards kind of authoritarian president. And rather than say I'm Canadian, I basically explain how this election was a reaction against globalization and that all steps forward are not linear. Sometimes there are big steps backwards. And overwhelmed, I oftentimes retreat into being nostalgic for simpler times when the, when the president was Kenyan. Or at least that's the information <laughs> provided according to Donald Trump. Uh, so next up, I'm doing two episodes, two things. 
Next up, uh, Emilio Lozoya, in a 61-page deposition, accused 17 prominent Mexicans of corruption. Lozoya claims that previous Mexican president Enrique Peña Nieto benefited from contracting out a Brazilian construction firm in the tunes of millions of dollars or gazillions of pesos. Uh, the current president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, or as he's known unofficially, Mexican Bernie Sanders, is uh, uh, was elected to uh, basically ran unofficially on a corruption, anti-corruption and anti-inequality platform. And uh, the problem with Obrador is that he, despite running on those platforms, is not building the actual institutions needed to directly combat bribery, ran, the rampant bribery that's going on in Mexico. Antonio, and, one, one moment. Yeah. You said that Antonio Labrador is the Bernie Sanders of Mexico. But I mean, the perspective from here in Brazil is not this one. Because the, for us, Bernie Sanders is like a very, very left guy. So Obrador for us is like a worker party. Yeah. It's not yeah. that. Well, I, I don't know. I, I think I think Bernie Sanders is the closest thing we have to a workers party candidate. Like, I mean, that's it's kind of he's like a he's a he's a left wing populist. Like he's not calling for you know violent revolution. He's calling for political revolution. No, yeah, no, yeah. I, I mean, but it's 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 very funny because I mean it, it's uh, Obrador for us like uh, the Argentina one. Oh, yeah, like Peronist, yeah. Yeah, or a former <laughs> president, like yeah. Lula and Dilma. So there, there's certain there's huge differences between them. Like it is it is kind of simplified to sum it up like like they're the same, but uh, they're both. Let's just say this: they're they're both like old populist, left leaning candidates. Yeah, exactly. but but I think that uh, from America's perspective, Obrador is very left. But from a Latin yeah. American perspective, he's like a yeah left. Right. Right. Yeah. For sure, you know, you know what I'm saying. I'm mean, I'm not saying that you're wrong, but I mean, it's 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 funny how the perspective change. Every, everything right. in the U.S. has shifted right. You know, our yeah. even our, our you know our le uh, liberals and like the Democrats would be like you know more center right parties in in most of Europe and you know exactly yeah because Bernie Sanders for us is far left is not left left is like a a guy that wants to. I mean, I don't know, state, state companies or yeah. more income distribution, just, just this kind of thing. But go on. I mean, sorry to interrupt you because I mean, Simpli I, I, no, exactly perfect. I'm just simplifying no, because, for like the lay person audience. Right. No, yeah, but no, that's fine. I mean, I got it, but it's, it's very funny how perspective changed. Oh yeah, I know. It's awesome. Yeah. And he's just an older fellow as well. He's an older mm -hmm. fellow yeah. with white hair. So he has the same kind of yeah. same kind of mannerism yeah. and strategy. Yeah, yeah. He used to read Marx and when he's a teen, something kind of things. Exactly. That's that's what, what I more, more meant. So yeah, yeah. instead of uh, focusing on actually changing the institutions, he's mainly focusing on showboating for popularity. And it's unlikely he would actually go after Peña Nieto, despite all of these corruption scandals that occurred under his presidency. Because, um, you know, so really what's happening here is that, uh, just like I was saying last week, there are some obvious political realities about Mexico. And, and one is that there are probably some really bad hombres in Obrador's coalition to stay in power. And after he goes after Enrique Peña Nieto, he'll probably, he'll potentially get in trouble with the people calling the shots, you know. The, deep state, you know, deep state. The, <laughs> maybe the Mexican deep state. Deep state. 
<laughs> exactly. The Illuminati. What's like the Mexican Illuminati? It's like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, no. probably one of the cartels. The cartel yeah. forms him. <laughs> it's probably the so so. In conclusion, Mexican Bernie Sanders needs a political revolution of systemic change in Mexico. Otherwise, you'll just get Mexican Joe Biden, and Mexican Joe Biden might be the best choice because of his strict stance against malarkey. But he might harken back to a time when Democrats and the cartels worked hand in hand together. To find compromises you know that's really it's really interesting that you say that because i think that's really really apt speculation right like we'll see the next mexican election we'll see if there's kind of like a center center left guy that kind of you know is 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 kind of hearkening back to that those peña nieto days it's gonna be interesting to see for sure yeah yeah i mean uh we're, we're trying to see because i mean in brazil we have this far right president but the the fear of the opposition Mm. Not the fear of the opposition, but we're seeing the opposition to the president is not united. I mean, it's very, it's very pulverized. I mean, you have this this far left guys that want to, I don't know, say how bad he was and in how Brazil, I mean, was like destroyed by him. And you have these middle left guys that want to, okay, he he's done wrong, but I mean, I'm the best choice. So. We're not seeing like an opposition, like uh, I'm say like uh, Joe Biden and the others Republicans like uh, Bush and stuff like uh, say no to Trump. I'm not saying they say yes to Biden, but they say no to Trump. I mean, Brazil, we don't see these. Well, I mean, speak, right? speaking oh, of, of of corruption, I mean, uh, obviously your president is in trouble and losing his his coalition. Uh, due to recent scandals with the uh, was it the um, internal uh, like your FBI basically uh, uh-huh. yeah yes it's called federal police mm. or FBI no yeah that's that's that that's that's right well what do you, uh, what do you think about uh, Bolsonaro's like political uh, situation right now because you know I've heard I've heard things that are kind of negative about his his political strength. No, yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of popularity, uh, as the coronavirus created an economic slump here in Brazil, so he tried to to mit- mitigate this situation, like um, creating a program, an uh, income transference, income transference program, and so the popularity among the very poor people is very rose up. So I mean, uh, popularity among people. Because I mean, a lot of people in Brazil was facing uh, deep economic problems, so this help from the government helped to, to lift his popularity up. So I mean, in terms of popularity, it's fine, not good, but fine. But among the real politics stuff, he was elected through by this uh unestablishment speech like uh you know i'm i'm the new politics and stuff i mean probably like a trump thing is not a, a very populist uh speech like Obrador said that i'm gonna end all the corruption the violence in mexico will slump and stuff but i mean it's it's kind of the same the same speech or the same format but he's doing all the things that he said he wouldn't i mean 
his uh, make alliance with the traditional politics, the traditional politicians. He's not following a liberal, a liberal said in not in American sense, but liberal in like economics. Uh, right. He's not following a liberalism uh, agenda as he supposed to to do during this campaign and a lot of ministers uh there was like um uh people say that technician uh ministers like economic ones or foreign policy or stuff they're like being we Brazil have a uh expression that when a minister is about to leave the or or be fired we say that he's being frying mm. Fried, fried, fried like in a pan. Yeah, yeah. fried in a pan. So, like, or the uh, minister of justice was fried, and now he's gone. There's a uh, some others were are gone, but I mean the it, it's kind of like right now it's kind of like tr- the decay of Trump's cabinet. I mean, to a lesser yeah, degree, yeah. to a lesser degree, yeah, because yeah. there's li- there's like eight people left from the original Trump cabinet, but um, yeah. No, yeah, uh, and we have this uh, the economic minister that he was like the big promises to Brazilian economy. He was like a uh, soar the GDP like a hundred percent per year or something. And now this the minister is being fried. So, so we don't know how things will go. I mean, politically, Bolsonaro is very fragile because he doesn't know he doesn't know how to do politics, actually. He doesn't know how to do it. I mean, uh, he was like uh, in the lower house of Rio Janeiro government, you know. Uh, like city to... government? Like yeah. municipal government? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's really low level. And, yeah. And he was like uh, 20 years there and only two laws by him was like proposed. So mm. 20 years, two laws. Yeah. So he's very like a... Well, he's ex-military, right? He, he used to be in the military as well. Isn't that, is yeah, that... but he was like expelled from the military. Oh, really? So he's very frustrated guy. He's like a... I mean, he's totally wrong. I mean, uh-huh. he, his, his life is totally messed up. He now how by the fact that he can do politics, he he doesn't know how to deal with the the deep state. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> the deep state. So I mean, in, uh, politically, he's he's in trouble. But from the people, I mean, the the popularity of him is kind of soaring. But I don't know how time how long will. It will last. So, I mean, it all depends about the money he's giving to people that they need. So, the time this money is over, his popularity as well will be over. Like in the U.S., it all it depends on what the economy is like on election day. Yeah, mainly. All right. Um, you know what? I'm just gonna give up a segue. Bruno, start talking about Greece and Turkey. Yeah. I feel like there's a food uh, joke okay. there somewhere. What? I feel like there's a food joke there somewhere. Maybe no, no, there's no food joke, no. Well, you know, like like Greece and Turkey, like, you know, like Turkey yeah, is Greece, a bird and yeah, Greece Turkey, is like yeah. oil, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Turkey, the, the, the same the same uh, joke in Portuguese would be like with Peru, because Peru, in the country Peru, because Peru in Portuguese is Turkey. Oh, really? So, like, yeah, like, like, yeah. like the word for the bird. Yeah, the war for the bird uh-huh. is the war for the country. Which, by the way, here in Boston, it's wild. It's wild. The turkeys here, they run around in little packs, like around the city. They're, yeah, they're, yeah. They're I've, run- I've seen a lot of videos. I mean, yeah. there is a video. It's very weird. It's like 
came from deep web or something. Uh, it's like uh, there is a, a turkey that's dead, and a lot of turkeys was like uh, walking circles around it. Uh-huh. I don't know if you if you're already watching this. I, I I haven't seen the video, but but I, I I can tell you they do weird stuff like that, and they also will suicide into cars <laughs> and stuff too. It's crazy. But they, yeah, they just run around the city. I've never seen any anything like it. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, to... I mean, I, I think Brazil is for the monkeys and Boston. Brazil, I mean, Rio is for the monkeys well, and Boston would be like yeah, the Boston turkey has one. turkeys, but the re- like they are not even the problem. The real problem is the geese here. It's insane. The Canada geese, they're everywhere, and they like they block roads and stuff. I've never seen and, and and the thing is like turkeys they'll run away from you right like but but a geese will like defend itself it'll come at you if yeah, you, you threaten it it's an angry bird so you gotta leave it alone like, you can't scare it away yeah it attacks people mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, okay back to the subject until that moment I mean we're talking about here about the eastern Mediterranean problem that's happened between especially Turk Turkey and Greece about oil, gas, and how to explore it and who can explore it. Okay, so to the moment that region where the tensions between these two countries happening was not, I mean, until now it's not a, a big producer of oil and gas by no means. But I mean, uh, there was recent uh, discoveries that shows that that place like a real, has a, some sources of oil that and gas that can be profitable and other countries are look to it because I mean they don't want to depend on Russia gas or Russian oil and because we know that Russia and the little uh, any little I don't know foreign policy with the Russians in Europe Russia say oh I'll cut the gas or gas I'll cut the oil so you freeze in the winter something like this so in Erdogan the president uh, of Turkey wants to explore further and project even the possibility to create some rivalry uh, with Greece to explore these these resources. Uh, but uh, back at time a little bit in in 2019, Turkey has signed a treaty with the internationally recognized government of Libya, the Tripoli one, because you know Libya is facing like a, a severe civil war. Which we were talking um, about uh, last week, correct? If people want to go back and and listen to that segment to learn more about Libya, was it two weeks ago? Yeah, two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago. Uh, okay, so Libya is like divided into three parts or even more, and there is uh, two main government: one located in Tripoli, and all one located in Tobruk. I think is the name of the place. Mm-hmm. Turkey and Turk government made a agreement with the Tripoli government about. Uh, yeah, it's this agreement was supposed to create a contiguous sway of Mediterranean Sea stretching from the north, I mean from Turkey coast, to south to the Libya coast, and France, Russia, and Greece and other parts of Europe tend to to have good relation with the other governing capital, like Tobruk. So we have this: who recognizes whom as a legit legitimate government of Libya? And according to this agreement, uh, all this piece of water can be exploited by Ankara. But we got to remember that Turkey is one of the 15 countries, uh, including Israel and Syria, that have refused to join the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea, which largely supports the Greece's case. Uh, it would be clear why this matters so much in the end. So 
but we cannot just claim pieces of sovereign territory or or areas that are outside our sovereignty that can be only exploited by us without telling the most effective part by the decision and what is happening and how it's happening. So this affects some views from the Greek Greek government about this part of the sea that and reignited some old tensions between the two countries because I uh, I don't know if you guys know but Greece and Turkey has a lot of problems and dust ups through their history uh, especially 1996 was was the last big I mean conflict in the area involved the two countries it even created a UN peace uh, mission Cyprus island so one of the oldest the- still running uh peacekeeping operations it might be the oldest oh, i'm not sure yeah i i i but, i mean it's it's I been do, it's been going since the 60s so i mean that's a long time to have peacekeepers yeah i i knew a guy uh, that works in this mission he's an argentinian military he said his the, the situation is very complicated because i mean he said that through all this time he was there he only heard one shot us two but I mean, they know if the if they leave, the problem will like, escalate it very quickly. So it's very uh, I stand off. If I if I stay here, the problem solved. But if I leave, the problem's not right. solved. So right. what what can I do? So added to the dispute zone, Turkey has sent some research vessels to the area and said that some military exercise would be carried out next to the city of Cyprus in the beginning of September. So we uh, this make the link with the Convention of the Law of the Sea because uh, if Turkey doesn't respect this convention, which supports the Greece's coastal claims and stuff, Turkey in law it can do whatever he wants. I mean, Iran can do whatever he wants because he didn't uh, sign the commitment to other countries' perceptions of the how the system of seas and oceans should be should be working uh and there's a piece of information that makes this all have uh make this have sense because we we got the island of cyprus which is a country an independent country but there is independence movement in the island whose goal is to create the northern cyprus or its official names is the turkish republic of northern cyprus which is recognized by one and only country in the world and this country is Turkey. So it's created a very problematic one because you, if you only, I mean, who is right? I mean, uh, if Turkey recognized the uh, Northern Cyprus and Greece doesn't recognize it, I mean, who is right? I mean, uh, how Greece can I tell Turkey to not do stuff because I don't recognize the part of the islands a uh, independent country? So it's created a a legislation problem and how to use it and how to how to deal with the area and all the resources they're located. So and Greece simulated Turkey's actions just made an agreement with Egypt proposing the same logic logic as the agreement inside but Turkey and Libya, the north south strategy. Because I mean Greece is in the north and Egypt is the south. But these things by themselves are very problematic when you look to the history and see what kind of relationship the Turk and Greece had. And as I just lost my... Okay. And this piece of agreement between Greece and Egypt overlaps the claim signed by Turkey 
and Libya. And to add a little bit of spicy, Greece makes a similar agreement with Italy and demands its territory waters should be increased by in 11 kilometers, kilometers from its land. So it's expand the Greek economical zone, even touching the claims of Turkey. So Erdogan immediately said that any Greece attempt to approach the Turkish territorial waters would be interpreted as a war action. But I mean, the problem doesn't end there because uh, Cyprus is not only watching the whole game being played and made a defense agreement with France. There is a lot of so let's rewind a bit. Turkey made agreement with Libya to explore fossil minerals in specific region in Eastern Mediterranean. And Greece, which doesn't like Turkey that much, made the same agreement with Egypt and Italy and demanded an expansion of, it, of its territory areas. But Cyprus made a defense agreement with France and Erdogan said that any attempt of Greek origins to approach Turkey waters would consider it offense in a war level. So it, it's... Yeah, and it looks very familiar and similar to the arrangement of WW1 alliances. I mean, I'm sorry, guys, English for me is kind of hard sometimes. World War One alliances. And I mean, I don't want to say they're the same or will lead to the same result, but the connections, encounters, commitments to one another makes it look very similar to the time. But unfortunately, things don't stop right there. Because due to this commitment between France and Cyprus, French military troops arrived on the island and stated that they intend to carry out military exercise with Italy, Greece, and Cyprus itself. But it would be like the same time or very close to the moment when Turkey intends to carry out the same activity. And Ankara says that Paris is trying to incite Athens and other region actors to perform a conflict escalation. Oh, I know it's very problematic and complicated, but I think the worst part is that they all then belong to belong to NATO. I think except Cyprus, but I'm not sure of that. And, and I mean, I think due to all the investment through years and importance, this kind of problem should be very unlikely inside this organization. Because the level of coordination and adherence to the principles of NATO are so high, are very, I mean, it's to stand the, the connections between the country so for such a long time and the, and the commitment was so hard that, I mean, this kind of situation shouldn't be choice. I mean, it's kind of, it looks like nobody talked to anyone and have all this structure of this bureaucracy to to avoid this kind of situation. But I mean, that was the facts, but I want to like to throw some opinions. I think this all situation, it's a perfect problem, I mean, for Europe to gain a more prominent political protagonism. Since America is more worried with its presidential election and Trump's dislike towards NATO, I think Europe has this great opportunity to become more politically independent in the area inside NATO itself. And regarding to Turkey, I think it could be a watershed situation uh, concerning its relation and partnership with Europe and West. Because when Turkey figured out that Europe is more worried to its Christian community, I mean, it's more important Greece than Turkey. I mean, you have this one of the four biggest, no, two of the four biggest, I mean, not four anymore because uh, England, it's out of European Union. But I mean, the three biggest, two of the three biggest economies in the European Union, the France, Italy, 
are joining the Greece the Greece case. So Turkey can see this uh, opportunity to enhance the flirting with Russia. I mean, uh, uh, Turkey has been buying some defense military mechanism and could set a new posture from Ankara towards NATO, becoming itself more skeptical towards the West and creating a more diversified approach in its foreign policy, trying to reach these non-Western societies as the Russian and the Islamic country of Central Asia. So we have this like a very complicated problem that can... If it's not treated as by the seriousness as it has, I mean, can create a original, original conflict. I mean, um, uh, almost like the Balkans in the beginnings of the 90s. So uh, we should be watching to see what will happen. I mean, personally, I don't think it would create any conflict like a boots on the ground conflict. But it can shake the structure of NATO and Western relations like North America and Europe. I think it, uh, the other international organization that, um, or intergovernmental organization that is important to consider is the EU. It's kind of funny because it seems like Turkey was kind of, you know, Turkey was trying to get into the EU for the longest time. And it seems like now they've just, they've been like, all right, you guys don't want us. You know, we're out. Uh, we're going to go full authoritarian. Yeah. So, but I am, <laughs> yeah, it, it seemed like a, it seemed a simple exchange to me because the North Cyprus conflict was really what was hanging up that process because, you know, the European states wouldn't agree to, um, to admit them unless they returned um, Northern Cyprus to another EU member, Cyprus. Yeah, I, I, I always thought that, you know, access to the European common market was well worth giving up those resource rights, but eh, apparently Erdogan sees it differently. Yeah. And and um, I mean I mean I mean of course there's other issues. There, there, there's also you know I, I'm sure race played a huge part of it uh, and xenophobia. Uh, Europeans didn't want um, you know Turkish people coming into. Yeah, Europe and... I mean uh, I I know it's 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 a not so like it guy, but I mean international relations theory. But I mean if it, I don't know if you know him, but someone Huntington when he writes the Clash of Civilizations, he right. said that. One of the problems of the Turkey to ingress into the European community is because he's they're not white and they're not Christian. Yeah. So yeah. and you open the gates for like a, a, a Muslim uh, flux of people towards the Western centers like Berlin, Paris, and London. London that time, right? Because London is not anymore a part of European Union. It creates a, a huge problematic because a huge pro, a huge problematic situation because you don't making Turkey part of the European Union would be a great uh, advance in the European soft power and in European economy, but these matters of race, religion, and I mean ways of thinking the 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 world. I mean it's it's very it's very. A hurdle to the Brussels to to accept the Turkey ingress, and I think it, it won't happen anymore because I mean not in a foreseeable future because Turkey doesn't want this anymore, and I mean as I said, went fully totalitarian, so Erdogan is not worried about any other democratic commitments or human rights tasks. 
I think, are you guys ready to try and guess the number? Do you guys remember what the number was? Seven. Seven. Alright, and I'll give you guys a hint, because, I mean, it's only fair for Bruno as well, since he's not American, but it, it is related uh, to American domestic politics. Okay, so... It, or not necessarily uh, yeah. politics, but it's, it's related to uh, domestic news. No, yeah, because I I I will guess like a a very random thing because I I've read somewhere in this week like a seven province of like a little Kashmir or something it's like a hmm. I don't know if it's, it's not it's not that but that but that's a, that's a good guess that would be no, a cool yeah, one to have was, I don't know if it's really seven I don't know it's something you Kashmir you remember reading number. seven yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I know. I, sometimes, sometimes things like that. It's like I know I read that somewhere. Yeah, I know I saw that. Seven, seven. Americans seven. testing positive for COVID. Seven percent. I don't know. Mm-mm. Nope. It's not related to COVID. It's not related to COVID. So I think seven is the. Uh, oh, I think it'll be like the guy that, the guy that was like walking around with guns. Like shooting, mm, mo- moving in shot. the right direction, moving in the right direction. Yeah, shot seven people. Oh, but but seven. but add add. I mean, normally that would be correct for the United States, but this is the other problem that we have. Um, so it's related to race relations in the United States. Seven black people were shot this year. No, seven seven seven, seven black people are shot by day in the United States. Police officers. Close. So, um, seven is the number of times that Jacob Blake was shot in uh, Kenosha oh. by the police officer. Yeah, um, I heard this. I heard this yesterday about, yeah, oh my God. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty enraging considering that, uh, you know, even, even the, like, the evidence of, of him having a knife or whatever is basically a plant, you know? Because I think I think the knife was like in his car, like somewhere on the floor or something. No, yeah. Like I like I have a utility know. knife in my car, you know, for if I need to cut like a rope or something. The most yeah, tragic have you thing is the that video? It, it, it didn't. Yeah, yeah. Have you watched the video? Yeah, yeah I the mean, mo- he was not a show-in type of thread or something. It was like a, he was getting to the car. <laughs> okay, Antonio. The on. most tragic thing is that it inspired the shooting in Kenowa was mm. the, so there was the shooting with the um, with the uh, right wing militia member you, you have you've heard about that one as well right so it was yeah. the one that inspired the other one so it's like uh-huh. so many people so many people being killed because of it's it's really tragic so the uh, yeah no but the, the video I mean the, the video of the white guy like yeah. walking around in the, with guns and the police does nothing but police literally does nothing so it's it's very it's like people in brazil black people in brazil are shot because they're holding an umbrella and police says they confuse it with an arm a gun or something so i mean i think in the united states it would be the same like yeah if i were black walking around with an umbrella in my hand police would say okay it's a gun let's shot him and the guy that was shot the two people i don't know how how many how many? I think he shot three people. One in the stomach. Yeah. I think one in the head at the beginning of the video, and then he's dead. So he killed one person at the beginning, and then it was one in the stomach who probably like died later on. I'm not sure about, about the facts, but it's just so. Uh, now that is Sick. just so egregious because it's like 
that this is why we have police officers. So we don't yeah, have that. Right? Well, the thing that I don't understand is in the United States with police, there's this mentality of like police are supposed to be armed and they're supposed to use it. I, that's just such a stupid mentality because if you give someone a gun, of course they're going to use it. I think the the way that like, for example, in Europe and, and like especially the UK that they handle it where, you know, even if officers are armed, like they shouldn't be wearing their gun at all times. Like the gun should be in the trunk of a car. You know, you should never be in a position where you can use force out of hand, you know? People, if, if you're going to use lethal force, it should be considered, you should take time. I don't understand, it's like, there's this kind of idea that it's like, oh, like, the police officer's supposed to run into danger. Well, that's not really a smart idea, you know? If there's, like, an active shooter, I don't think that the right course of action is a police officer to, to pull their gun out and run at them. Like, it should be, all right, let's block off the area, let's establish a perimeter, let's get the proper, you know, teams in here to figure this out, and, you know? One per one cop with a gun is only a liability, in my opinion. It's just one more gun that can shoot someone else. And if you give someone a gun and, and easy access and easy use of it, they're just going to use it. I mean, you know, you have it. It's right there. So, and and it, I know I, I don't have any facts to back this up, but I know I, I've read about some kind of, uh, it's like a neurological study where like if you give someone a tool, they're more likely to, to consider using it, right? I mean, it just makes sense. You know, if you have a gun. Yeah you're more likely to use it to shoot people or anything, right? If you, if you, if you had it, even just putting the, the gun in the trunk of a car forces you to think about what, how you're acting, to think about, okay, is it really necessary to bring, you know, to escalate to lethal force? And ultimately that's safer for the police officer. You know, if people know the police officers aren't armed, they'll be much less likely to shoot first. That's my, that's my rant on that. Okay, go on, Antonio. Yeah. On the other hand, though, there is the context of there are just like a lot of people armed in the United States, which is different from England and which is different from a lot of countries in Europe where there are just people that have guns a lot of the time. So what do you do in that situation where it's like there is a probable chance that this guy might have a gun? Do you just uh, you, is that the sacrifice we're willing to make to prevent, you know, more shoot more of these shootings or? Or how do you how do you get like, around that with with having lots of armed people that the police will have to deal with? Yeah, I, th I think it's the pr is, is similar to the problem there was to right here uh, in Brazil. I mean, the police, especially in the Rio, we have these gangs and they're heavily armed, and I mean, they kill people and they kill the policemen and try to like do an operation or something. So I mean, in Brazil, it's 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 kind of hard to the policemen, especially in Rio, not be armed, because I mean, if they're not armed, they literally will be like easily killed by this, all these criminals and drug trafficking guys. So it's I think it's, it's I, I don't know yeah. how to approach this problem because I mean I I don't I don't know a lot of it. I mean theory and facts. I don't know, but to it, me. It's, it, to me, it's more of an issue of ease of use and accessibility to firearms. So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't advocate for disarming the police entirely, right? I just think that um, it, it, police should be required to take a little more time and not just be able to pull out their, their pistol immediately and shoot someone. Uh, you know, even in an actor, active shooting situation, you know, as funny as it sounds, the act of going to your trunk is probably safer, at least then you'll be taking cover and you can, you know, gain, gain uh, you know, observe the situation and gain some intelligence about it versus 
you know, if I had a gun, like, you know, I can say from, like, you know, your instinct, you're just going to instinctually go in for the fight, but you have no idea what's going on. You don't know, like, who the shooter is versus other people versus other cops and other people with guns. You don't know, like, you know, you could be targeted by other police because you have a gun. So I just think um, that small inconvenience for police officers is well worth it in that even that 10 seconds will force them to think, okay, do I really need to use this gun? And then, of course, you would have specialized teams. You'd have SWAT teams and stuff for, you know, especially for that, who would be able to respond. But I don't think that every beat cop should just have a gun on their waist at all times. I just think that's dangerous. Uh, guys, if you want to see a little bit of the reality of this uh, police uh, operation here, here in Rio, I really, really recommend. I mean, it's a piece of art movie. It's called called the... In Portuguese, it's Tropa de Elite. I will send you guys here, right? I think the English name is like a elite squad. They're number one and two. The, both are great, like great. So, I mean, the, the first one's more like action and like guns and stuff. How the dr drug trafficking and the, how the operation of favela occurs. And the second one's more the political, what's behind the the interest of the... It's a very nice movie. I mean, it's very... It's, it's well-made, and it can show a little bit of reality. You can be ready because some, some scene can shock you, and it shocked me. But, I mean, I think the reality is there. It's, it's not anything, like, uh, exaggerated, I think. All the things mm. that happened there could happen in real life. So, yeah. 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 Be... All right. Well, uh, you guys have any would, concluding remarks? I would just like to say that um, I think it is the the post you know, the uh, the mailman. The mm. mailman is a significantly more dangerous job than the police. The yeah. police, at least with regards to statistics, is not actually the most dangerous job, or is not one of the most dangerous jobs. So this is kind of like a false narrative from the far, you know. From oh the right, yeah, that, and, and, and let's be real: the, the police officer is a dangerous, super dangerous job. Like, I, I saw I saw a meme the other day where it was like it was like a police officer with like a blue lives uh, matter uh, flag and like a and then he had the Confederate hat on or something, and he was like, "May I have a crumb of oppression, please?" Like they're really kind of looking for the uh, they want to be. They're like, you know, please, we're the most persecuted group. Like, come on. Come on, guys. Come on. You carry firearms everywhere you go. Come on. Well, thank, thanks for uh, talking again this week. I had a great time with you guys. Um, and we'll see you all next week. All right. See you. Peace out. Peace out. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode and fresh topics for discussion. Please like and subscribe on your chosen podcast platform and stay safe. See you next week.